All right, guys. Who wants to play code names? Yeah, um, that's not really my type of game. Uh, I prefer a little bit more meeple. Nah, I mean, social games are still games, man. Games are games are games. Come on in. All right. Yeah, that's my man. Hello and welcome to Dragon's Demise, a podcast about what happens on, around, and behind the tabletop. Today, I'm joined by Greg. Howdy. And we will be talking about the definitions of what a social game is. So this is the third installment of our series for board game glossaries, pretty much. Yep. And we're going to talk about like what we think they are, what are the things that define them, and what a lot of games include but are not necessarily necessary. Yep. Sticking to the formula. Uh, it's worked so far for Euro games and Amerithrash games. Yep. And we're going to take a look at social games. Mm-hmm. But first, let's jump in and talk about what we've been playing. Yeah, so we just finished up a game of Ancient World, the yep. new one from Red Raven Games, mm-hmm. which I think we both enjoyed. Uh, yeah. It's a two-player game. It's two to four. We played it, just the two of us. Yeah. And I liked it. I think gameplay-wise, previously, our friends Leslie and Hunter had said that it felt like a sort of a lighter City of Iron. Yeah. And I think there's a lot like that resonates with that description for me. Similar sort of empire management. You've got your military on the one hand. You've got your buildings and your sort of capacities. Yeah. On the other hand, you can fight monsters. You can explore. It hits a lot of the same notes. Mm-hmm. But it does so, I think, in a quicker, more digestible format. Less really minute resource management. And more about sort of the grand sweeping strokes of building and maintaining an empire yeah and i think that one of the most interesting things about the game is the titans yeah so you pretty much always have a titan that's coming over to wreck your shit (laughs) yeah yeah they're called threatening titans Mm -hmm. and if you don't deal with it either through conquest like throughout the round or by appeasing it with ambrosia at the end of the round it will as jacob says fuck your shit up yep pretty much so it's an interesting mechanic and when we both started, of course, we were just going like, you know, all right, well, we have to take care of this Titan because we don't want to get our shit wrecked and that, that kind of stuff. But like, we diverged on our strategy with them where mm-hmm. Greg actually went and he did a lot more of a military strategy, uh, which also has a really interesting mechanic about having to pay your military more each time, like one plus whatever's already on their card. Right. So it's almost like an exponential type of growth situation. Yeah. And so Greg went to that and uh, like you retire military and you flip them over. They have a benefit that's going to be added to your next military unit in in that stack. And so that's that's really interesting. I went for more of the building strategy. I just tried to build a lot of things. I think that I pivoted to points a little bit too late. Yeah, I think it, it took a long time for you to really get online because it took so long to get more citizens. Yeah. I think that was a sticking point for both of us in the early game. Mm-hmm. We only had three citizens. Yeah. And it was halfway through the game by the time we got the ability to get more. Mm-hmm. And it was like a turn after that that we got the ability to get more and also pay for them. Yeah. We actually had the ability to get a citizen in the first round. We, Did we? Yeah. There was a card oh, there that was, was that, out. That's right. Yeah. And I was thinking about it. And I'm actually thinking that it could have been an interesting investment to pretty much get a citizen. And yeah, let them starve even though, because you don't have the food, but then use Ambrosia to like wake them up at each round. Mm-hmm. That could have been a very interesting thing because I think I, I was able to start using another citizen, I think in the fourth round. Yeah. So I was able to get it in the third round, fourth round to actually start using it. 
So I had four for one round and then five for another round. And had I like been using the Ambrosia for that, like possibly the, uh, the additional action that I had could have like netted me a lot of other stuff. So. True. I mean, on the other hand, you were using your Ambrosia mm-hmm. like three turns in a row to placate your threatening Titan. So yeah. honestly, like there's a lot of that, actually. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of these interactions where you can say, oh, I could have done this differently, but then everything's so linked together yeah. that, you know, then you wouldn't have been able to do a thing. Mm-hmm. Like it was, um, you pointed out you had a building stored at the end of the game that if you had been able to build it mm-hmm. would have given you the victory. Yeah. But because of the way the actions broke out in order to build it, you would have had to have given up something else, which would have lost you points. So it's, it's yeah. all sort of an ebb and flow and give and take. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. And also just like, it's interesting to see like the scales for like the income going up to like 24. Yeah. We were at like six. <laughs> I had 10 and I, like I had a lot of income and I, uh, and I was able to get up to 10. I don't know how it would go all the way up to like 24. I mean, I guess, yeah, I don't know. Maybe, uh, maybe in a like a multi, uh, more player game, you've got sort of turns that stretch out a little bit longer. You can do more with them. I really don't know. Yeah, I think that because you need to like build a lot, but you can't also build just unlimited because you have to have your districts, which allow you to build more capacity, which allow you to hold, have more buildings and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera, and just mm-hmm. like keep building on that. It's it's interesting. I I, I like a lot of what they do here. I yeah. think that it's it really is like a streamlined city of iron, and I. I have to say I really enjoy it. Yeah, same, same. Definitely mm-hmm. looking forward to playing it again probably next week. Mm-hmm. And, and giving it a review. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, And in the future after that. The one thing I will say is that's really annoying is the stickers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, the, they upgraded the components for the Kickstarter to the wooden pieces for each of the citizens. But the citizens are numbered and they have to have like certain skills and that kind of stuff. But they didn't like just print something on the, on the actual piece. They printed out stickers that you have to stick onto the wooden pieces. Right, which is already frustrating. And then they and don't then, even fit. Right, yeah. Some of the stickers and some of the wooden pieces are misaligned. So, yeah, yeah. that was that was a bit of a, a frustration there at the beginning. Yep. But overall, game, definitely good. Looking forward to playing it. Played a little Pyramid's Deadline. Yes, we did. Which was... <laughs> we, we played two games, and in the first game, I think the game lasted two rounds. Something like that, yeah. Two, maybe three because we were rolling so many of mm-hmm. the red square yep. dice, uh, which, you know, that's that's sort of the end game trigger. Mm-hmm. The second game went... Too long. Like 10 or 11 <laughs> rounds. Something like that, yeah. And because it was going so long, we got complacent, mm-hmm. and we ended up each with zero points because neither of us could finish because we were like, oh, yeah, the game will keep going. Yeah. And then, ah, you know, so... Yeah. Though, did did we get any points in either of those two ra- games? Yeah. <sighs> No, no. Uh, I was in a position to have, but you I successfully yeah, block you. blocked me, which meant we both ended up with zero. So yeah, we tied for the for the series, yep. two game series. We're tied at zero zero. Yep. We gotta we gotta play that <laughs> really nail biting third game tiebreaker. Exactly. I mean, you know, if one of us gets a, a single point, right? Like, you know, <laughs> I'm just gonna build my freaking like. It's, it's just going to be a single small triangle, yeah. and that's it. I'm done. Mm-hmm. But yeah, always fun to play Pyramid's Deadline. I love those sort of, you know, oink. Like, I, I feel like oink is so good at doing the not even press your luck, because in my mind, press your luck is more on like an individual action decision yeah. basis. This is more just like a, a precipice. Well, like you're I, I going, the, you're going, yeah. and then you're gone. A lot of this is, I think, of the tragedy of the commons. 
Yeah. Because there's definitely an like, element there. You know, I'm thinking right now of Deep Sea Adventure, mm-hmm. where like, yeah, you have a common air supply, but you want to use it to be able to get back to the ship. Right. But you also want to use it up so that the others don't get back to the ship so you can get the points. Yeah. Uh, and so you got that. In this game, it's just like, huh. Like, like Greg said, like, you know, I took that piece that would have allowed him to get any points. Right. At the last moment where it was just like, all right, you're not getting anything. Yeah, there's a certain brinksmanship yeah. uh, with these games that I, mm-hmm. I really enjoy, which is fun because I don't usually, that's not my sort of preferred play I think, style. But I think I the like fact that they're like, you know, 20 to 25 minutes is yeah, really that helps. helps. Yeah. yeah, it takes a lot of the pressure off. Yeah. And then you had a chance to play Codenames, which is always great. Yes, I did. I actually taught my girlfriend's parents. Codenames. Oh, fun. Yeah, parents and brother. And so we played, uh, there were a total of six of us. Okay. And it was a lot of fun. I mean, you know, Codenames is, is always that kind of really fun party game. Yeah. Uh, sit down and like, you know, try to connect all the different words and that kind of stuff. And we really enjoyed it. Like, you know, we each side like had some time where they were winning and like, you know, like other times messing up in the moments of just like, you know, it's like, oh, I get that reference. It's definitely this. Mm-hmm. I think one of them was flying or something like that and i said and the one of the card was turkeys and i'm like turkeys don't fly and then amanda immediately was just like oh it's turkey 100 percent it's turkey (laughs) it's a a reference to a uh tv show and a um and an episode there well there you go see you shouldn't have said anything well no it was it was for for us oh she was on your team she was on my team (laughs) i thought you meant like you said something and gave the enemy team a point no we 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 managed to get that so Gotcha, gotcha gotcha yeah and and i mean after that amanda was saying that her mom had emailed her and said like i love code names i'm still thinking about like how i could have connected these words in different ways and all that kind of stuff so that's really cool uh, i'm i'm really happy that i that i got got to uh, teach them that game so there you go always fun mm-hmm. and then i also got to play some quiddler with them right that's their like family game of choice yep i forget, i think i may have come in second Okay, I was going to say, did you yeah. hold your own? Yeah, I managed to hold my own, uh, though a lot of times with Quiddler, it's just what you get in your hand. Yeah, you sure. And I had the alphabet soup of like X, Y, and Z at one point in my hand. Zizifix. Yeah. So that was that was a interesting trying to put that together. And that, of course, made me think of like, oh, I should show them unspeakable words because at <laughs> one point you can actually put that down and be just like, here, this is my point. There you go. <laughs> yeah. And there you have it. That's a look at what we've been playing. So here we go. It's time for our third installment of our board game glossary series, which is going to be all about social games. So these have a couple of different subcategories that we're actually going to break out, which we haven't done before. But all of those subcategories have a single overarching, like absolutely core integral thing, which is high player interaction. Yep. They're social games. It's about socializing, and player interaction is is literally just socializing. So each of these subcategories, subgenres, has that mechanic in common. Each of them also is going to have things that are more unique, things that are absolutely essential, things that are common, but maybe not necessarily essential. You know, the standard things that we talk about when we talk about a board game glossary. Yeah, so let's talk about the first category, and that is hidden identity games. Right. So these are a lot of things that you normally think of as social deduction games, but we feel like they're even better described by having a hidden identity. Uh, right, which is literally component. just a mechanic. Yeah, exactly. Uh, that That's the main mechanic. You can't have a hidden identity game without hidden identities. 
Hmm. Novel. Yep. So that that's, I think, one of the things that I was like, completely necessary. You need to have some sort of imperfect information and people having identities that, that uh, interact with the game in some way, usually that you're trying to figure out. Right. So to look at a representative example, I think a, a very popular one is going to be something like One Night Ultimate Werewolf. Yep. So obviously, hidden identities, some people are townsfolk, some people are werewolves, and a big portion of the game is figuring out who's good, who's bad. Yeah. That's sort of, you know, determining who your opponent's identities are. Yeah. And who you can trust. Skewed information, you know, you've got the werewolves mm-hmm. versus the players. The players don't know anything for the most part. Yep. The werewolves at least know who the other werewolves are, which means they know who the townsfolk are. So that sort of information asymmetry, which typically favors the, quote, bad guys, yeah. is pretty essential to the functioning of most hidden identity games. Because otherwise, yeah. communication is going to favor the, quote, good guys yeah, or on the balance. It, yeah. In other words, like it's pretty much the, the team that everyone is trying to pretend to be versus the team that everyone is trying to find out. Right. Yeah. There you go. They, yeah. That's yeah. a perfect summary. So teams are very, very common in these games. I mean, you've got the your One Night Ultimate Werewolves, your uh, Battlestar Galacticas, your Tofu Kingdom, and Secret Hitler and that kind of stuff. So each of these has like the two teams. But then there are also games uh, like Dur, for example, that has this kind of social deduction, but isn't like you're not on any on team. You're still trying to figure out what other people are going to do and that kind of stuff. Yeah, with Dur, it's a little bit inverted, where your hidden identity is actually the identity of your target house. But, you know, you've still got that secret politicking, uh, yeah. maneuvering, and trying to maintain your informational advantage. Similarly, 10 Minutes to Kill, yep, hidden identity game, it's a little bit more, uh, you know, you've got the interstitial medium of the board, yeah. but you're on your own team trying to maneuver around, sometimes literally, yeah. your opponents so you can get the drop on them. Exactly. And then I think the last thing that we think is very common in these games, but not necessary, is a high player count. Right. And by that, we mean pretty much more than like four or five players. So most of these games you can play with up to like eight, 10 players, and they're made for that. And they even work better in that way because you have more people going around because these games really do rely on the communication between uh, the different people. Yeah, just sort of that dance of having more people at the table, having more voices, having more conflicting opinions in yeah. a lot of cases really drives these games because so much of it is going to be built on that interpersonal conflict and that high level of player interaction, which you just get more of with more players. Exactly. Additionally, a lot of these games do give you like specific roles and like player powers almost. So... The base games of many have just like the the plain teams. Like, you know, if you're playing Werewolf with just the werewolves and the villagers, like that, that's it. Or, you know, same thing with uh, the resistance or something like that, whereas you're playing the base one that doesn't give you any abilities. But they've added so many cool things with expansions and additional, like, you know, the one night ones, which have almost everyone doing something during the night Mm -hmm. and that kind of stuff. That really gives these games even more replayability, even more of a dynamic environment because you have all these other roles that can do all these different things, especially gain more knowledge. Exactly. You want to maximize the amount of information that you have, you know, either for yourself or if it's a team-based game so that you can deploy that information in service of your team. Exactly. 
And that's like the first category of social games that uh, that we like to cover. Now let's jump into the second one, which is in a way pretty similar to this one, but the object of the game is a little bit different. Where in hidden identity games, you're really trying to focus on finding out what the identities of these other people are. In limited communication social games, you're trying to find like what is going on like on the board or like an additional piece of information that isn't really necessarily tied to one person. Exactly. And I think for me, the quintessential one of these is Mysterium. Yep. Where you've got literally, you know, no talking between the clue giver and the mediums or the mystics. I forget exactly what they're called by the game. Uh, But the person who's trying to figure out who and where and how the ghost Mm -hmm. was killed. So you have these cards that represent your only form of communication. And that's sort of an extreme example. And another example, maybe like code names, you're limited to a word and a number, but sort of this core mechanic of having deliberately limited ability to communicate and having to find ways to do that within very specific parameters. So a lot of times that's a time limit, yeah. whether that's counted down by a timer or whether that's counted down more by you know rounds, mm-hmm. as in the case of Mysterium. A lot of these are about maximizing the efficiency of your communication within a limited time frame. And I think one of the other games in this category that's really well known is Codenames. And that has a fun twist on the limited communication genre because you have two different teams trying to guess their words before the other team. So here your time limit is pretty much how well the other team is doing. Right. If they're not doing well, then you have more time to work on yours. If they're doing really well, go for that five word clue, you know, (laughs) reach for the stars, (laughs) reach for the stars. You might even get an assassin. Yeah. 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 But I think that that shows how like different these games can be. There is like the whole cooperative aspect of them. But even then, like there's a few twists that, that like make them sometimes semi-cooperative or like team versus team and that kind of stuff. Right. Yeah. Pure cooperation is common, but definitely not necessary collaboration i think is more of like the the go-to word there whether that's collaborating with everybody at the table or sort of silos of individual teams also we mentioned that uh, a lot of these games actually have clue givers so there's at least one person at the table in most of these games though not all that knows what everything is and is the one trying to communicate with everyone else Mm -hmm. or in some ways You've got multiple clue givers, like some, something like when I dream that everyone is giving the clues, but the one person in the middle has to pretty much decide who who's telling the truth and who's lying. Exactly. This is another sort of subcategory of social game that benefits from high player counts. Yeah. You've got so much of it is wrapped up in the putting your heads together aspect of it. You yeah. know, code names. Oh, we're brainstorming. You know, obviously you can't speak to the clue giver in Mysterium, but discussing things yeah. with the other mystics at the table Mm -hmm. a lot of that improves with high player count i don't think it's quite as one-to-one of the enjoyment as it is with say the the hidden identity games Mm -hmm. simply because of the more collaborative aspect yeah but it is a very common uh, aspect of these games yep yep and that's that's pretty much the, the second category of games the limited communication type games the last category that we're going to talk about are party games Now, these are a lot of what people expect when you say social games, because, well, socializing and partying seem to go together hand in hand. Yeah. How weird is that? Um, But yeah, so these are, you know, your cards against humanity and it's 
umpteen million clones. Yeah, um, stuff like suspense for vanity or my personal favorite. <laughs> yeah. You've got games like snake oil or, mm-hmm. but wait, there's more that involve more of a performative mm-hmm. aspect of that. Even games with a little bit more game there, like mm-hmm. uh, something like cash and guns. Yeah. Fits into this party game sort of genre, something like happy salmon, mm-hmm. a very popular party game. And so these are all, seemingly scattered along a spectrum of like different mechanics different type of games you know whether it's just like putting cards together to make other people laugh or pointing foam guns at your friends right but what they really do have in common is they really go for a out there or ridiculous kind of either theme or like they just try to push certain boundaries where it's just like you know cards against humanity of course pushes decent boundaries with just the uh, the ridiculousness and raunchiness of their cards. Right. But you have other things like, you know, cash and guns where it's just like, oh, I get to like point like this like giant gun or like I get this little tiny gun that I get to like, you know, uh, shoot someone with or something like that. And and they do have uh, a lot of really cool different aspects that usually can make you laugh pretty hard. Right, exactly. So much of these games are about the deliberate absurdity of it you know whether again that's the content on the cards as in a a cards against humanity clone whether that's in but wait there's more like oh now suddenly you're selling a vacuum cleaner that has a squirrel attached to it yep you know just things that are absolutely ridiculous Mm -hmm. is at the core really of these games Mm -hmm. that's what makes you laugh exactly and then you you also a lot of times have some kind of like almost a dexterity component with like with happy salmon where you're like uh trying to like be frantic and like you know find someone else and to do like this one funny thing and and all that kind of stuff but in general i think that the player interaction is really key for these games you really do have i think as much as these the other games had a lot of player interaction these are the ones that like you are jumping out of your seat. You're you're doing something else. You're you're doing some crazy stuff with other people, and falling down on the floor laughing. Right, exactly. That's so much of the like the entirety of gameplay. A couple things that are common to these games, but mm-hmm. not necessarily integral. Judging whether that's sort of an individual judging multiple submissions or sort of everyone else at the table judging your performance. Yeah, common. Not necessary, as we mentioned. Cash and guns. Happy salmon mm-hmm. doesn't necessarily have to include that. The other thing, as anyone who's ever played Cards Against Humanity will tell you, the points don't matter. Yep. Uh, please don't sue me, CBS or whatever channel <laughs> whose line's on. Um, but yeah, in in pretty much all of these games, the points don't matter. You're really just yeah. playing, you know, Twistosity. Mm-hmm. I think, have we ever even, like, said what our scores were in that game? I don't think so. Nobody's playing it for that. You know, you're playing it to say ridiculous tongue twisters in ridiculous voices and then having to do it again in a different voice. Exactly. Like, like that That's the fun part about the game. Right. Not universally, but typically the points don't matter in these types of uh, party games. Exactly. So there you go. Breaking down social games into a couple of different categories. We can see that there are some universalities, frequently high player count, always high player interaction. Mm-hmm. But, you know, some of them have slightly different themes. Some of them have slightly different mechanics going on. But overall, under that umbrella, whether it's your hidden identity games, your limited communication games, or just your full-on party games, you know, that's the the core of what makes the social game corner of our little hobby. Thanks for listening, everybody, to this episode of Dragon's Demise. We hope that you enjoyed it, as always. 
Also, as always, huge thank you to our Patreon supporters. Uh, we really appreciate all that you do, all that you engage with us on the content that we make, and of course, the support for the podcast. Particularly, our Greater Weirm patrons, big thank you to you for your generous donation. That's Sam, Carissa, Hunter, Casey, and Meg. We couldn't do it without you. Also, big thank you to our Tier 3 Twitch subscriber, Adam Crossberg. Super generous. We really uh, appreciate the support. Exciting news. Origins is coming up, which, I mean, if you're listening to this podcast, there's a good chance you already knew. But what you may not have known is that we're going to be there. So June 12th through 16th, come to Columbus, Ohio. Origins is there. It's going to be awesome. Huge, big board game affair. We're going to be carving out a little niche. We're going to be playing some games. We're going to be demoing, talking to designers and publishers and all that stuff that we do. We're going to be posting probably some vlog updates. Keep an eye out. If you're there, come say hey. We would really love to see you. And don't forget to tune in next week for our review of Ancient World. <laughs>